This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, a philosophy finalist on this, the season finale. And I am Bill Arnett, an improv game show host on this, the season finale of P&I. How about that? Well, if you're the host (laughs) and I'm the only contestant left. Wow, you've made it this far. I hope you feel good about yourself. I feel like you've done something positive and... uh, Not so fast! It is I, Chicky. I here am also a finalist and I will compete with this man, Mark Lindenmeyer, to be the winner of Philosophy versus Improv for the entire season! Wow. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if, if Chicky was in the earlier rounds and passed the strenuous. I took a shortcut. Selection, selection process. I was waiting around the back and I always thought you should just wait for the, if you're in a race, you don't start at the beginning of the race. You go right near the finish line and you wait for people to get close and then you just jump in and then you run across the finish line and then you have technically been the first to cross the finish line. And so you are, you are the winner. Well, that's cheating. That is, that's the definition of cheating. But there are no rules in improv. Well, yes. Just as there are no rules in life, the rules are what we choose to enforce. There are social rules and social norms. You don't laugh at a, someone's misfortune, at least in public. And as far as those rules go, who's getting a philosophical now about the nature of rules? The improv guy. And in those rules, improv is actually full of rules. Absolutely crammed, crammed jam full of rules. Well, in this show, I know for the finale, the first whole hour is just going to be me and you. And the second whole hour can be uh, you and Chicky. Does that sound fair? That sounds very fair. So you, got, you have to go wait in the soundproof booth. All right, I'll go and wait. <laughs> there, there will be no second hour. Okay. <laughs> I, I just didn't think you would leave otherwise. I understand. That occurs. It seems like Chicky has pretty bad mic technique. I had to, I had to put my volume down considerably. I, I'm going to move uh, it back uh, up here. Chicky might need a, uh, uh, a little pantyhose guard on there. <laughs> <laughs> Was rules your topic for the day? No. In fact, I had a, so this is kind of like our final exam on both sides. I know we've kind sure. of done some things to reflect this with, sure. our, with our supporter content recently, which I would say if the people listening want to make sure they get a good grade here, they should mm-hmm. use the supporter study content. I mean, what, how, why would you not do that? It's like office hours. You get to meet the professor after class. That's exactly what that is. Exactly. Yeah. Without yeah. The, the imposition of my editor actually cleaning things up. It's just uh, mm-hmm. us laid straight to tape. So just raw, couple highballs, just the professors kicking back, smoking jackets. But I did have a, a, a thought. Sure. A general framework. Critical thinking. That is supposedly the thing that I've been teaching you all sure. along. You know, sure. at least philosophy. I would say several disciplines probably claim that what they're teaching is critical thinking. And maybe you could even Mm -hmm. take a critical thinking class that would, Mm -hmm. I guess, I don't know. I should Mm -hmm. do a search for syllabi on that. But I did search actually for what people say online about what critical thinking is. And there are formal systems of it. What do you think some of the subdivisions, the ways that people might, if they were doing 
trying to do a flow chart and create a presentation and maybe you work for a university and you want to do a, a visioning seminar and say, mm-hmm. we, have, we need to have critical thinking in all of our courses. So we have to have a, a formal framework of critical thinking. Here are the ones that are out there. Do you have any thoughts? I do. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is, I got to say, it's the critical thinking is the first thing that any high school geometry teacher will holler out when the students ask, when will I ever need to know if two triangles are congruent? Critical thinking. Critical thinking. Mm. You'll, you'll never be faced with having to remember side angle side in your life. No job will ask you to see if two triangles are, are the same, but critical thinking. Critical thinking, the process of, of learning about triangles is an exercise in logic and critical thinking. So that, that's A. That's A gets thrown mm. around maybe as a way to justify teaching high schoolers. I mean, any, anything beyond basic algebra, really, unless you're going into the sciences. I mean, trig. I've only used trigonometry in math and science courses and engineering courses in college. In my daily life, I've never had to use trig. That's one, that's one side so, I have so read. Is, is geometry, what would make that uniquely suited geometry is the fact that it has proofs? Whereas, Yes, it is a closed set of rules triangles, right triangles. It's clearly defined and everything is, there's no edge cases or kind of sort of, there aren't, it doesn't even, units don't even, are we talking inches or centimeters? It doesn't matter. The flag that lots of math people wave is the idea that math is universal and that it doesn't matter where you're from, you know, a triangle is a triangle is a triangle and that the rules and even the language and the writing of math is the same. There's a kind of a, <laughs> a cultural uh, stereotype that Asians come to this country and are really good at math and are really good at engineering and science and computer programming. Well, it's like, well, of course, because that translates. Because Asia is a perfect parallelogram. If you look at a map, <laughs> a, a, yes. it is perfect. Every The sides are completely smooth. <laughs> if, if you're living in India and you're really good at math and science, you can do that anywhere because math is universal, right? So if you're in India and you're a very good journalist and very good with language, it's like, why would I move to America? I would have to relearn the language unless I want to work for an Indian language mm. newspaper. But if you're into the maths or, or sciences or engineering, it's like, oh, perfect, perfect. So we end up getting all of their people who are good at math. Meanwhile, I mean, both those countries have three, four, five times the population we do. So they can lose a few engineering nerds and still, <laughs> still, still be okay. It's an interesting thing that like, because math is a closed system, because it has its own language of symbol, so its own symbology, pluses and equals and numerals and things that it translates. So I, that's, I think why I think math, that's what math teachers like to say. So you think that. engineering nerds are the best critical thinkers. They make the most wise decisions, say, in the no. political arena. <laughs> if you want to know which political party to belong to, just just check what are the engineers? Where, where, where are they? No, <laughs> they probably like to wave that flag uh, and remind other people of that. But I don't think it's true. I think the other edge of critical thinking is what makes geometry good for critical thinking is it is a closed system, but life is not. And our everyday world is far from it. And the language we use, the words we use, the meanings change, the meanings alter a plus sign, a minus sign. They've always meant what they meant and it won't be any different, but Take any word and it will greatly change its meaning over the years. And there's all kinds of <laughs> words that are now considered foul or dirty that at one time were in everyday usage. I think the word moron, if I'm not mistaken, was invented 
in like the 1920s. It didn't exist. A doctor invented it. And now it's like a really, now it's a rude thing to call someone a moron, you know, but at the time it was invented. So critical thinking, the ideal is, is that you strip away a lot of the variables, a lot of the cultural truths and realities and those things and try to look at a problem as though it is unaffected by the day-to-day reality we live in. So I believe moron actually was created as a logical operator. So you'd you'd have the premise, (laughs) if A, then B. You'd have the premise A, and there are two possible conclusions, B or moron. moron so yeah. you either you could follow the path <laughs> to of, moron. Of, of modus ponens, or you could follow the path of morondom. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think some people are very good at detaching. For instance, separating the art from the artist. That has come up a lot in our culture for the last five to 10 years and separating a person's achievements versus their ill achievements <laughs> versus their, the malice that we now perceive them to have operated with. So you're saying this is an example of critical thinking of not being influenced by the source of something or being able to separate them, not necessarily not being influenced, but being able to look at those things separately. You probably have the textbook definition, but in my mind, it's like we can address William Shockley's contribution to science and engineering, we can also address his unbelievable... Whatever was wrong with him. Eugenics. He he was a big eugenicist in the 60s and 70s, despite inventing the transistor. I was into eugenics, but then when Peter Gabriel left, I feel like eugenics work after that was was too poppy. Yeah, I mean, come on. Phil Collins. Fred to be the perfect man. (laughs) The subject (laughs) of eugenics. They screwed up on the baldness gene, but it's all right. Yes. Baldness Uh, is actually part of the perfect man. That's what people don't realize. Well, he didn't run away from it, did he? No. Phil Collins, he embraced it. And I see more and more people, myself, entering that fray of embracing hair loss. I don't fear my winter. Let's stop for a sponsor break. (laughs) Hair loss. Yeah. (laughs) Have you thought of doing nothing and letting your hair fall out? Try it. You get 20% off. Well, we'll send you air. Accept yourself. That was a rambling. It was rambling. Critical <laughs> mess. It, no, that was, the, there's lots of stuff in there. I feel like we should illustrate this somehow. We should delve deeper through the magic of narrative. Yes, we certainly can. We certainly can. Now, the little lesson I have does actually not involve quote unquote improv, but we you can tackle that in a moment. How about that? Well, we can certainly dive in and do a little narrative here. Is it our up yet? No, an hour is not up yet. Go go back in the booth. All right. <laughs> Sorry, let's go. Let's get this thing rolling. Hey, uh. Hey, Bert. What'd you get for number five? Why do you want to know? Dude, dude. Just, what'd you get for number five? It's personal. It's That's what I wrote. I wrote. It's, it's multiple choice. So they don't like that if you write it's personal? No, no dude. Actually, I just don't know, but I feel like if I put it's personal, then she's not going to grade me wrong because like, I mean, it's personal. I could, I could sue. I'm not sure if that's, I don't know if that's going to fly. Why are you whispering? Because I don't want to get, because technically we're cheating. The test is still going on. I haven't given you any answers. You haven't given me any answers. We're just supporting each other. You're having obvious stress over taking the test and I'm supporting you. Okay. You tell Miss Hampton when she turns around from whatever it is she's doing at her desk, when she hears us talking, you just say, it's personal. 
And I'm sure she'll just let that slide. I mean, she should. If a teacher can just invade your personal life, it's like a dictatorship. The, the question is about these two triangles. Is it side, angle, side, angle, side, angle? What two triangles do between them is their business. Why are we even being asked to chime in on this? Is this our business? This is the, the triangles should do what triangles do. A- and we should be able to answer questions about triangles. How about that? As long as we keep a respectful distance and don't feel like we can understand the essence of a triangle. I'm never going to know what it's like to be a triangle. Do you know what it's like to be a triangle? No, and I never will. And that's something to marvel at. I feel, I feel like a respectful awe. Okay, fine. Respectful awe. Now are these two triangles congruent? I feel like we can answer that question without invading the triangle's personal being. I mean, I think you'd have to ask them, do they identify as congruent? What if one of them identifies as congruent as the other one, but the first one does not identify as congruent with, what if it's a non-reciprocal relationship? I don't care what they think about themselves. That's immaterial. All right. As an outside observer, am I observing congruency? All right. That is such just like a masculinist paradigm that you're imposing on two beautiful natural creations. They're not even natural because do you know, triangles don't actually exist in nature. They have lines that have no width. They are completely flat. They are supernatural. Hmm. It's almost like man invented them and invented them in such a way that they don't have agency of their own. All right. Why am I even asking you? Clearly, I should. Fi- I'm, I'm just never mind. Never mind. I'm just going to figure this out. I feel like there's a smudge. And that's why I asked. because I couldn't tell. I feel like there was a smudge on that. Yeah. Now you got seven. You got number seven wrong there. Now you're looking at my paper. Now you're looking. At my paper. I, what did you, you ask? I mean, you invited me into your sphere. What did you get for number seven? What are the sum of the internal angles of an octagon? I mean, I just put A because I want to get an A. Okay, that's objectively stupid. Don't you think that you should put what, what you think you want to get? Don't you think your goals should align with your actions? That is objectively dumb. That's not how these tests work. And you have to accept that this is how tests work. And if you're going to be a member of society, there are certain constructs you have to buy into. High school is one of them. Well, this class is objectively dumb. Yeah, I, I'm not going to fight that. Hey, guess what? In 14 months, we're out of here. All right. We are gone. But until then, let's get through this thing. Do you think you're going to go and do more school after this? I, I don't know. I don't know yet. I don't know. Dude, I'm going to take my test now. I'm just going to finish this thing. Never mind. Excuse me. Excuse me. What? Are we allowed to write essay answers to these. Go, what's going on back there? Your questions are reductive, and I think we should be allowed to, if I, we don't think either of any of the A through D are right, are we allowed to just put what the right answer actually is? You can write whatever you want on your test sheet, but I'm not going to read it. I will grade the Scantron, and that is it. Write a whole missive. Write a whole theory on the back. I don't care. I'm just not going to read it. You've got 20 minutes to finish. So I don't think I should write it's personal. Yeah, duh, duh. But she does say we could write anything. What would you like to write to her? She's not going to read it. This is your chance to tell her what you really think of her. All right. Um, I'm going to write that uh, you smell. Fine. Do it bigger. There. You bigger. On the back. Here we go. Look. 
you smell. And I mean that about the teacher in case she reads. No, it. I understand. All right. You could smell. You, could you put her first name? Do you know her first name? It's e- Teresa. It's, it's Enid. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Teresa is her middle name. Her. She goes by Teresa, but her real first name is Enid. <laughs> Enid Hampton, <laughs> comma, you smell. Boom. All right. Mrs. Hampton, Ernie has written you smell on his paper. Sorry, because it's too good. I got to add. I want to Why would sure you do that? Why would you do that? attention to it. Why would you do that? He can write whatever he wants on the paper as long as he fills in the scans around. Wow. She, she's, she's okay with it. She's totally going for it. I think she like thinks has, has a thing for you. Dude, she's past retirement age. They have needs too. I mean, I, I ain't feeling them. I, I hear. That's fine. You think we should just leave? I mean, it says like we could, we could write whatever we want on, on our papers. So maybe write nothing. I have two more questions. I have two more questions. And I'm going to fill out my Scantron. I'm going to hand it in. And then I'm going to sit here quietly. <laughs> I've, I've already finished all. I just filled in A for all of them. So I'm, I'm definitely going to get at least one out of four right. And that's probably better than you're going to do. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Won't we? We'll see. All right. I'm done. I'm done. All right. Should we pull the fire fire alarm? What? What? No, 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 dude. It did massive trouble. Don't pull a fire alarm. How about I can write whatever I want on your test. So I'm going to write my name on your test and write your name. On <laughs> no, test. no, no. Well, hey, you can write whatever you want on the test sheet, but the Scantron's already got my, I bubbled in my name already. That's weird that she, that she can't even read our names. <laughs> that they're bubbled in. <laughs> Pause. Have you had, did you ever have to do that in, in school? <laughs> Bubble in your name? I had forgotten about that, but I thought maybe that was only on like standardized tests where no human being would look at it. If, if you actually did a Scantron on a normal test for a normal teacher, at least they could keep track of your name, but maybe not. We had a few of those. Maybe I'm just like, Oh my gosh, that's fine. I think we could let that scene be dead. We can be done. <laughs> so I was uh, exemplifying some poor critical thinking, if you could tell, at various points in there. <laughs> As I said earlier, much of the culture of today is re-examining. And I think examining is always important and re-examining is always important. If you go on the internet, you're going to find the worst case scenarios <laughs> and find the most egregious fouls. How should a critical thinker respond to your character? Which part? The early part. There's almost, I can't accept reality as it is. There's just too much baggage around everything. It's been a constant theme on this podcast that methods are contextual. So in a closed system, it's not a matter of using critical thinking to go meta, to Mm -hmm. question the foundations of the system. Like within the system... So within figuring out a math problem where there are defined right answers, Mm -hmm. of course, the clearest thing you can do, anything else is just irrelevance. So that is the response is not playing in the rules of the game. And so just producing irrelevance that could hurt their feelings. If we're talking about a different (laughs) context of life that contains all of these games, then of course there is room for questioning. I mean, 
critical thinking really is questioning, but with supposedly objective standards attached to it. And I guess that's the question is, can we figure out if we have a defined game, then yes, our standards defined within that game. But people who come up with critical thinking standards that they want, say at a university level, applied to all of our classes, think that there are things like clear writing and use of logic and lots of things that it would just be nitpicky or insane or otherwise wrongheaded of me to question at least to a point, right? Because even in the larger context of a university and students in it, questioning the university itself, questioning why do I want to be in this class? Like, well, that's just something you have to get past to be in the class, right? And the fact that there are going to be grades and there are going to be some standards and maybe they're arbitrary standards or maybe they're historically contingent, but they are standards, say, of clear writing that are clear enough. They might not be exactly definable. It might be more of an art than a science, but you should be able to point to examples of clear writing and examples of poor writing and say why they're poor for one reason, if you put in a lot of irrelevant stuff. Okay, sure. I'm not sure how that would fly with your character, but I understand. (laughs) Here's my question for you, Mark. And a lot of people, when they take an improv class or become exposed to some of the truths of realities of improv, find that it helps them in their world, in their life, beyond just doing improv scenes. Does that make sense? Sure, that is the hope. But yeah, and this is similar structure here to what I was just talking about, that within an improv scene, it seems like maybe there are defined rules, or at least, you know, we want to be entertaining. We want to make these people laugh. We have an audience that we're relating to. But then as you were sort of backing it out, somehow just like critical thinking skills, according to the geometer, following the rules of geometry is critical thinking. It seems very narrow, but with improv, then following the rules of improv insofar as there are any, we're saying that somehow you could back up to life and that will also help you. Do you think that analogy works? Yeah, and, and that we learn critical thinking in geometry so that when we're in our life, you know, it's not just the circumference of a circle based on its diameter, but also other possible things as well. Have you seen any palpable difference in your life? Have you been able to use improv in your life? I don't even want to ask, but have you like, oh yeah, here's a situation I'm in and I see how improv, even if you can't leverage what you may have been learned in improv, have there been situations where you see it happening? Hard to tell. One would have to like go out (laughs) in the world and deal with people and not just talk to them on podcasts all day to be in situations. Fair enough. You know, and I was already in podcasting and having to do improvised speech. Do you ever leave the house? I, I do, but in tightly defined circumstances. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to run some errands. I'm going to buy these things. Maybe I'm going to go meet some friends. That still does happen occasionally. Sunglasses, mask, face shield, Tyvex painting suit. Yeah. For anyone uh, listening at home or wherever you're listening, We're doing this over a Zoom chat, and behind you, Mark, is a basement window that is blocked by books. The perfect metaphor that you have used books to block out the sun and the world. (laughs) Now, I realize that in a camera setting, you do you want to keep the light out. I mean, I've got an outdoor light behind me, and it's very glary, but I just think it's a fun thing for me. It's too big to block with those books. You have those 
weirdly <laughs> folded uh, curtains. Drapes. Uh, drapes. There was a whole there was a whole story behind all that. But yeah, is that to keep uh, them high so that your your small ch- your children are not small enough to eat them? Oh, we have kittens. Oh, the kittens will. We don't want the we're not ready for the kittens to climb up them yet, and then from there leap onto non kitten proofed things. Makes sense. They're super Makes sweet. Sense. They're adorable. Yeah. Back to the original question: Do you think improv has helped you or had any usefulness in life? I want to deny the premise of the question <laughs> because <laughs> a simple no would I suffice. Think, well, but I think the premise of the question is that if it has not been useful, then it's not worthwhile. And that's almost what I see improv as an antidote for. The very silliness that went into that scene was a matter of don't put your nose to the grindstone. Look up to the stars. Think of the (laughs) the possible ways of reacting to something. I'm very subject to social pressures. Sure. Such that I don't even talk very much if I'm in a group of people that I don't know so well. And like many introverts, then getting a performance context is a way to become extroverted. But in that case, unless I really make a conscious effort to do otherwise, if I'm in a sales situation, for instance, I'm running those errands, Sure. then as much as possible, I want to treat those people like vending machines and I want them <laughs> to treat me like they're in their customer service mode and they know what, like, I don't want to give them any trouble. I don't want them to give me any trouble. So we just move past like two ships in the night. And that is a way of being very constrained, very I think we brought this up when Adel was on. What would it be for an improviser to become untethered from expected roles in life? Sure. So if I was going out in the world with that in mind, or more likely if I'm just you know dealing with my family or thinking abstractly about ideas, like yes, improv fits very well with my viewpoint in terms of always looking for another angle on things. Maybe that's philosophically valuable. Maybe it's just a bunch of nonsense. But that is, in fact, the essence, for instance, of Chicky, is you could ask Chicky any question, and Chicky <laughs> will come up with some way of skewing it. And that's just exactly, I see the same skill as at least the way I've been approaching improv. But maybe you should tell me, because we went into that scene, and I forced you again into the sort of straight man mode by doing what I apparently, according to what I just said, think improv is am i wrong a i think you're right for your analysis of that scene and that is something that has come along mark is seeing these scenes as an improviser sees them and perhaps not as a an audience person sees them i think that's been great and that's been cool there are many people and you can go online who improv like wow this just changed my life having a yes and attitude has changed my life it has saved my marriage It has saved Mm. my work-life balance. It has given me peace of mind. And it's not uncommon. It's very human to seek validation in our feelings. And it's like when you're a kid and you discover a band that you really like, you want to share that with your friends. Not only do you want them to experience it too, but you want them to like it and give you a high five. This is awesome. Yeah, you're right. It is. And I think that can happen a lot in improv as well. People who get very married to this idea that improv will solve all wars you know, if the UN mm-hmm. just took an improv class, all problems would melt away. And I just don't personally believe that to be true. A and B, I don't want students as yourself necessarily to feel like if improv did not change their life, then they must have been doing it wrong. 
there's something to be said about if people didn't take things so seriously, if people didn't get offended, if people did, but I can certainly picture improv as being the way some people might do it. Some kind of status game still of, Oh yes, I've, I'm the funniest. I will interrupt you. I will say all the things I will force you into the box that you maybe not even intentionally, but just that the same, even with this spirit of openness and fun, <laughs> still the same toxicity that improv does not necessarily in itself solve it. Ironic that in its nature, it says it's trying to overcome those things, yet it does not succeed in always overcoming them. Because people, you know, I will say this, improv in my own life has helped me tremendously in reading people. And my mm. empathetic abilities are say through the roof, but are so much greater and stronger. And I have caught myself like using what I can in a manipulative fashion, not necessarily manipulative, but like, well, someone sent me an email and it's very businessy. It's very straightforward and businessy. I bet they're going to want a straightforward businessy response because that's the kind of person they are. Or someone sent me a long flower email with lots of divergent, you know, but also what does this person want? Not just what do they want from me, but how do they want it packaged? And can I package it in that regard? Does that make sense? Yes. And that's certainly something that I could use. I often, as maybe we've related, feel like sort of an alien. I don't know if I'm slightly on the spectrum. I don't know. I, I'm sort of a, a hypochondriac about every kind of mental illness. Am I officially yeah. a narcissist? I don't know. Am I officially depressed? I don't know. There's many things. And so this is one of many, but it's definitely been, you know, I've made many mistakes that stick with me, that gnaw at me over the years oh, of yeah. misreading people, of saying the wrong thing, particularly in emails. <laughs> yeah. And that even comes to the present day. I feel like I need to make every single possible mistake at least once, possibly more. But I, I do like to take risks with people because I, I like to have fun with things. So for instance, we just did this audio play and a famous person was on it who maybe, maybe we'll get to be a guest on here, but he's not responded to that part of my questioning about <laughs> it. He had multiple parts in the play and some of them were very big and important and a couple of them were very small. And I realized only when we were doing it that one of the parts I gave him had one word. <laughs> that he was senator number three and he had one word in the whole thing and so basically i had made him pay attention in that scene just so he could chime in his one word and so i kind of felt bad about it like oh i should have just like i was trying to like just keep him involved by casting yeah, yeah, yeah. things but i didn't see that it was such a thankless job and so in <laughs> communicating with him while i was doing the edit i cut out that one word and i sent it to him and just like i know you're always going to remember playing senator number three you could use this as a ringtone. You could use this. And I, I sent his one word back to him and he did not respond to that. So I don't know, especially with celebrity types, what they will find funny or whether I was being an asshole. Ha ha, I gave you one word. I don't know. You never probably will know. And this person's got their whole own life ahead of them. And I think it would be best to move on. I want to put it back at you. So I have had... In thinking what I've been doing as a philosophy tutor here, like I haven't made you read stuff. That's sort of like if I'm actually tutoring, that's what I do. <laughs> it's I make them read stuff. There have been some suggestions that I have mm -hmm. browsed. I have not made you write anything. That's also important. But I have made you talk about stuff. And that's been the main thing. 
And I have sure. not been, I've been trying to be generally very encouraging because there's generally something that's coming from a good place, right? That there's something right about almost any answer that anybody says. Sure. <laughs> so I like to yes and, but that means I'm not being super critical thinking. Oh, that was a fallacy of <laughs> ad hominem. That was a fa- like, I'm not doing yeah. that to you. We're more exploring together. Sure. But you have had at least many of these ideas floating around that we've, I and many of our guests have brought sure. in. You've been forced to play in this playground. How mm-hmm. do you feel like this has changed your life in any substantial way? Yes. For one, thank you for being nice to me. And I think that's something <laughs> that, well, it's something that in the world of philosophy, you might be a parent, an adult, and I might be a child in terms of what I understand. Does that make sense? And I don't mean that in a bad way, but as someone who is new to it in, in this format, I mean, certainly we've all sat on the roof of our dorms in college, you know, and looked at the stars and wondered if everybody sees the colors the same way. But to look at a philosophy critically, this has been my first dive into that. And you've been very polite and treated me like you would treat a child in the way that you don't. <laughs> I mean, does that make sense what I'm saying? You're not going to scream at them. You understand that they're learning and that they're young and that and if you want you want to foster interest. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. And I think sometimes that's a gigantic foot that people put in their mouth, a gigantic mistake people make anytime they're trying to convince someone of something who is quote unquote lower on the ladder, lower on the moral ladder, lower on the philosophy ladder, lower on whatever ladder is that they treat them as though they're on the same plane yet make dumb decisions, as opposed to someone who just doesn't have the understanding and perhaps needs to be fostered and tutored more so than screamed at. So thank you for not screaming at me. I hope I didn't commit too many fouls along the way. Well, I also do not feel like it is a single ladder that the ladder of there's the ladder of critical thinking that, you know, if it was like, let's work on again, that's sort of the tightest parallel to, I feel like what you would be doing as an acting coach is let's work on your characterizations. Let's work on your, reaction time let's work on your opening your mind to more possibilities so you could do that with philosophy as well i find for the most part what's more fun is let's just do philosophy sure (laughs) just talk about the stuff in which case since there are no real bounds to it it could go into politics it could go into mathematics it could go in so inevitably i am a child in so many of these areas. Yes. Unless you have, and most philosophy podcasts are a host will talk to a series of experts mm-hmm. who's actually, you know, really comes in knowing what they're doing. And I feel like even when we do that, when we have somebody like that, we don't really let them do that thing yes. to us. We, <laughs> we make them play our game. So it's more of a playing activity than a serious learning activity, which is, I guess, what I see, what we're doing here as well. Like, I hope that my skills are improving. I think a, a lot. And it's all experiential. But I think forcing someone in this context, forcing me to discuss philosophy and defend my points of view in the most polite sense of the word defend, but to stand up to some critical or questions or whatnot forces me to think and rethink. And it's when you have to dot all the I's and cross all the T's that you really grow. The the best thing I ever did as a writer, not that I've written a ton, I've had a lot of 
improv, over a hundred improv blog posts on the old theater's website. I've got those kicking around somewhere. I'll probably publish them. And I've got a few other writings scattered around the internet. But doing a blog that I know will be published, even if no one reads it, I've got to go through and make sure it reads well. I've got to cross the T's and dot the I's. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so often we just kind of speak off the cuff or we think in our mind and formulate idea in our mind, but forcing you to, forcing ourselves to actually write it in a way that someone else can read and pick up and understand is fantastic. And I did that improv blog for a while. And then I reached out to a friend who had an e-zine, the literate ape. If you've been out there wants to read the literate ape, I'm I'm not sure if they're still publishing. They had some issues, but I, I very much enjoyed writing stuff for them. But when you're writing in that kind of regard, it forces you to think about things. You can't just, well, you know, da da da, blah blah blah. You, you know, you figured it out like we might with our friends over beers. It's like, nope, you got to write it, and that was very helpful for me. So that would be my advice to anyone out there who wants to improve their writing. You have to publish it, even if it's only your friends read it. You got to publish it, and hopefully that will pressure you into being tight with it. Well, I feel like we should wrap up our season here by doing another scene. The we certainly last can. scene of the season. Of the, wow. Yeah. It's going to be the best. The best. <laughs> it's going to open will. new door. They always do. How about you start this one? All right. Everyone, please pick your cushions. Sit down upon your cushions. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> uh, biology is, is humorous. Yes, okay. Don't be distracted, but we're going to be mindful here. Everybody, just everybody knows I made that with my mouth, but there could be, could be some other ones coming soon. Let me just, sorry, Yogi, uh, Swami, okay, well, whatever. A- acknowledging, you make it to you. Acknowledging the biological is, you know, we're all just humans in human bodies and, and we can't, at least not on the first day, we can't uh, supersede. We can't uh, become creatures of pure spirit. So we're just going to, uh, for the next 15 hours, we're going to sit on these cushions. <laughs> was that was that a real, that was, that was still your mouth, wasn't it? Was it Mr. Peterson? Is that, is that? I'm so sorry. Right? I just, it just, I'm so sorry. It's Peterson. Yeah. Pete Peterson. I just. I wanted it to be real, and I pushed a little bit and was laughing that I was pushing a little bit, and then it kind of trying to hold my mouth shut so I wouldn't laugh audibly, and it squeezed out of my mouth a little bit, but that was, that was my mouth, but not, not intended. Now you realize once we start, if you do shart, you'll have to just sit in it for 15 hours. We're not getting up to relieve ourselves. Dude, 2002 SEC championship game. We are hitting it hard in the parking lot before this thing starts, right? In Atlanta. And I probably put down about five hamburgers. One of them, get this, was raw. It was a joke from my friends who gave me a raw. Because I'm just like pounding these beers, eating everything. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so I had this like, my stomach is like a sixer of beers, tall boys, and then three burgers and chased by a raw burger. (laughs) I didn't even notice I was that far gone. Man, first quarter, kickoff. Bam, that first stand up and cheer. And I am filling my drawers. Okay. Mr. Peterson. Filling my, my, filling my drawers. My right? child. We my are child, in the Mr. middle Mr. of, Peterson. I'm almost, I'm almost done. We're in the middle of the aisle. Right. So I can't, it's like, do I go left? Do I go right? You know? And it's like, all my buddies are there. And it's like, I got to be careful. You know, I'll finish the story later. Class, People, class. I'll this finish is a wonderful finish opportunity to hear. Everybody has a time before they became enlightened and having those stories 
to be able to pull out and tell people what a wretched, terrible person you were before you got through this weekend with, with me. And let me just say, the game, went, you. game went into double overtime. I just want to tack that on right now, but you know, fill in the blanks. When it comes down to it, we all are creatures with pasts. And I understand that 15 hours is a long time. People are going to have to relieve themselves, but we're not going to move. We're just going to notice the urine will come when it comes. Mm-hmm. The feces will come when they come. And we will notice, but we will not react. We will say we live in the world. The world has good and bad smells, good and bad feelings, but they're only good and bad if we let them be good or bad. If we, if our consciousness reacts to them positively or negatively. I think that's a great attitude. That's an amazing attitude. That's why I'm here. That's literally why I'm here. It's a great attitude. <clears throat> so we just, we're on our, we're sitting on our butts, we're on our knees. How we, how, how do you want to say Everyone that? just on your, I can't say Indian style. We're sitting crisscross applesauce. Oh, what a funny way that we say this now. But we're all the way that I'm sitting. And we're going to close your eyes. If I had, if I had a back injury and it's difficult to have my legs splayed, is that... You don't have to do the lotus position. You're just there underneath each other. This way, not the lotus. The lotus would be a problem for less flexible people. That's for the advanced class. Is it cool if I stand? Is that okay? I just stand? No, no. Okay, oh, that's fine. No. That's fine. Yeah, Wilson cool. will... Cool, cool, if, cool, so cool. if anybody moves during the next 15 hours, Wilson will reset you down. He's that large gentleman over there who showed you your rooms earlier. Totally fair. Totally fair. I will find a relaxed position that's comfortable for me. It may not be crisscross applesauce, you know, but it's going to be real close. I'll, when I'll, you transcend your physical body... You will not care what position you're in. And the sooner that you close your eyes and think your mantra word, the sooner that will happen. So maybe you should stop with the chit-chat. Oh, we all come from a place where there is chit-chat. But then we enter here, the sacred place, and we close our mouths and we learn from the insides of our minds. Your mind is your greatest teacher, your spirit within. And unless you close your mouth, then the spirit escapes out of your mouth. You must keep it in so you may observe it as it flushes around. And then the urine will add to that. You'll be a flushing system. There will be feelings. Are you down? Yeah, I don't want to talk. By the way, you are you're kicking ass. This is great. This is great. I sometimes feel that I was getting a little worked up there. And that is... Uh... I need, I need to sit for 15 hours to keep the temper under control. That's it. I mean, I saw you getting mad. You were getting kind of mad. And I feel like you might be getting mad at me. I'm not going to lie. I kind of felt like it was kind of towards me a little bit. I'm not, you're the guru. You probably know, but I felt like you're getting mad at me. You're merely a factor in my environment, a teetsy fly buzzing around my spiritual essence. And I am experienced in merely letting Letting go, and you too will be able to just let go. Ah, so the urine is flowing now. I don't even have to wait. I'm already in the state. <laughs> All right, let's. That's awesome. let's okay. be done <laughs> All right. So, the teacher relationship. <laughs> hey, I got to be the crazy person that time. I got to frustrate you. Yes, you were that role in the frustration game, but I did not play it totally straight. I was 
easily frustrated because I was already a demented kind of person. Mm -hmm. Well, how did I deal with your unrealistic rules around what this meditation retreat would be? 15 hours, evacuate yourself as needed. How did I react to those things? Seemingly supportive that you were not going to be able to actually do it, but you're not as disruptive and annoying. Maybe there's a gravity. You weren't going to get frustrated. I accommodated mm-hmm. your your attempts to be weird or frustrating. I just folded it right in. Mm-hmm. Just folded it right in. I'm not going to let that get under my skin. In fact, I'm going to justify it. And that's something that we've talked about and done. And I, I just wanted, and you, you noticing that and seeing that implies tremendous growth. I need to work on, I know, I don't know if it's empathy as we were just talking, but reactivity, the way that I see the characters that I create are a machine who's going to do a thing, right? It's a, it's a defined thing. And so if you come up and you interact with the machine, you cause it to do it at a faster rate or you cause it to react that it doesn't know what to do, but it, it is not a very organic union. And maybe that's just my view of human nature and our, our ultimately <laughs> alienated state that if we, even as a codependent couple, I'm thinking of, you know, when Chris and I were playing a, a couple viewing the submarine, Like we could definitely build on each other. It was more organic, this cooperative relationship, but it was, it's like, because it was a group machine. Maybe that's. Yeah. 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 Well, one thing I want to work on is generally when you introduce a philosophical problem or give an example of it, my gut reaction is always to judge it. Well, that's stupid. Why would anyone feel that way? And I've been trying to like withhold judgment. Or where that's cool. I mean, whatever it is, whatever it is, you know, you're talking about rules or, you know, you say something or or we're going to, is the word the actual thing or does the word imply the thing? And my gut reaction is always to judge it emotionally. So that's what I'm going to work on. Try to see it for how it can be a bigger thing to try to be more critical. Yes, that sounds exactly like what you were talking about is being able to separate, in this case, the utility from the idea in itself that like, even if it ultimately is something useless, maybe this will be a fun thing to play with or be a useful exercise just to analyze it anyway. Exactly. It's learning patience. That is the thing that I don't care if my philosophy podcasts are two hours, three hours talking about the same thing. If you're into it, they're as long as they need to be. You extend your (laughs) patience you know, I try to be sensitive of like, let's also say the headline up front. So if people do want to just listen to the first 15 minutes, they get the idea of who the thinker is we're talking about. You know, I don't like, we're just going to start on the first sentence and we're going to go for where I like to s- summarize. Yeah. Was there anything hidden? Let's reveal our lessons insofar as we did not already s- say them. <laughs> I think I kind of let mine roll pretty good. What you pick up in improv can directly affect you in life. Mm -hmm. I mean, in in some ways, these improv scenes are, especially the way I prefer improvising and teach improv, it's like they look like life. They feel like life. We are bound by the rules of humanity and by the rules that we live in every day. So there are opportunities to practice life and practice the way that that we live and to see these scenes, see these interactions, not as a spiritualist and a student, but as teacher-student or frustrator or frustratee and to see that we can label these things and analyze these situations beyond just, well, this guy kept farting. No, I was disruptive. You know, and it's like, you know, mm-hmm. we can take a bigger picture of these things and look at these things. You have a disruptive person and a disrupted person who's trying to maintain control, while this other person is trying to erode that person's control. 
Yeah. And it's something that we can talk about in improv scenes, but that happens in life too. And all of our interactions with life, those things can be going on underneath and behind the scenes. That's it. Good food for thought. <laughs> I guess a place where I thought maybe this uh, discussion of critical thinking would go was I've heard a few people raise, what are like QAnon people? What are they doing? Uh, sure. It's not necessarily that they are just devoid of critical thinking and that they're super gullible because in fact, they're hyper critical about the wrong things, right? <laughs> about how do I know that this school shooting actually took place? I think that every single reporter that was there is lying to me and that these parents are crisis actors and there would have to be some really strong reason for you to even admit those possibilities and for them to overwhelm the normal way that we take other people's word for it. It is essential yeah. that we, most of our knowledge is just what other people have told us and believing that they are telling the truth. And there's, of course, problems with that. But critical thinking is not just to doubt everything that comes at you. It is to think about doubt itself and when it is appropriate and what the contexts are. If it's just a matter of, did this thing happen or did it not? Unless you're talking about something supernatural. Well, so many people said they saw, you know, Jesus walk on the water, you know, there might be contravailing reasons. We talked about that in our miracles episode a little bit, but for ordinary circumstances, there is no reason to doubt necessarily when a whole bunch of people that were present at a school shooting say that it actually happened, for instance. And every time people talk about those kinds of things, all I think about is just Occam's sharpening that razor. There's, <laughs> boy, <Yep>. uh, <laughs> wow. To pull off a fake school shooting is far, far more difficult <laughs> than a school shooting and you know maybe that's a problem you know maybe <laughs> but like so you know, what about the moon landing oh oh it's actually, it would actually it's actually easier to land on the moon than it is to fake the moon landings well but at the time i think obviously we landed on the moon because but at the time it seems like it would have been easier <laughs> to set up a movie studio and film this and be able to and there was a reason like we really were racing with the russians we want to say we got there first like it is not as an initial hypothesis, if somebody had proclaimed to me on the day after it happened, you know, I think that was faked. I might think that's a serious thing to consider. It's just that we've been back there a bunch of times. And we got <laughs> close to the moon. You know, we launched the Mercury, the Gemini, all these things that are like approaching the moon. And boy, if it was fake, don't you think the KGB would have figured it out and just had just like. Right. That's another thing is I feel like it would have been discovered already. Oh, my gosh. What a coup that would have been. It's like being maybe willing to admit that there could have been massive electoral fraud before it was investigated and presented to 70 different judges who all said, this is insufficient evidence. Now I'm pretty, if I had any doubts in the first place, which I didn't really, because there was too much in the interests of the people that were claiming that, it, you know, I could not separate the people advancing the theory from the theory itself. I guess that is. Yes. Then you get people who it becomes about their identity. And anytime you, someone might think to themselves, well, it's not that I think guns should be legal. It's that I am a gun owner. That is my identity. And to restrict my ownership of guns is an attack as to the person I have chosen to be. It's not just the Democrats are going to take guns away. They're going to take your guns away. It's just a lot of identity and humans need to be something. I feel like we have to be able to label ourselves or give ourselves a tribe or a community or something. And if you try to 
monkey with someone else's sense of identity, you know, super uncool. Well, and I think you're exemplifying a prime trend in philosophical discussions is that they end by introducing a whole different topic that we Boom, can take on. There we go. A different season day. two. Season two has to happen because otherwise we would never, mm-hmm. we would never finish. Yeah. Thought. <laughs> well, this has been a, a super fun adventure with you, Mark. I hope you've had a fun adventure with me as well. I have very much had a fun adventure with you. Whether or not it has been life changing, it is definitely enhanced. There we go. Uh, there we my go. Life and thus it will continue. I was, I proposed this to you as a potentially short term limited <laughs> uh, series. And I would love even if, if things went differently to even go back weekly, but we gotta, we gotta go with the budgetary and time constraints that we have now. So I believe we will continue <laughs> on an every other week basis, but I will pledge as season two gets going here to actually keep to that schedule and not be disappointed by the lack of advertisers, you know, external advertisers specific to this or anything like that to slow us down. Yeah. But it's been super fun. And um, if any of you listeners out there have any words of encouragement or advice or things you'd like to see in season two, let us know. Yes, you can email mark at philosophyimprov.com or there is a contact form on the website, philosophyimprov.com. Boom. And of course, the best way is to become a Patreon supporter and then message us through that because then for sure, I will pay attention. We get that message. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I learned a lot from you today, Bill. And I learned a ton from you, Mark. And I learned nothing from any of you because you did not let me. I'm now going to begin my dramatic monologue I have prepared from Henry VIII. I am, I am. Thank you all so, so much for suffering through the first season of Philosophy vs. Improv. If you want to get all the episodes, subscribe directly to the Philosophy vs. Improv feed. You can find the links to do that at philosophyimprov.com. If you want to support the project, which you definitely should do, so you can hear all our after talks, like in this one, we speculate about who we might get on as guests for season two. And at least one of the names we speculate on will happen because I've already recorded it now. So get that and more behind the scenes info and insight. And we had some supporter only readings of segments of Bill's book and my recent book. You can do that at patreon.com slash pretty much pop, which will also save you forever from hearing the various ads that get auto-injected before and after and eventually during these episodes. I cannot stress enough, I do not choose what goes in those insertions. I think like YouTube ads, they're based on what they think you want to hear, but I don't know how they would know that. Maybe they're tracking you. Maybe they're watching you every second. Maybe they're watching you right now. I am not watching you right now. I can tell you that much. I feel like I got sidetracked here. Oh, yeah. You, the listeners, are the best. You are the ones who make this possible. You make it all worthwhile. You make it all worthwhile. There's plenty more navel-gazing, beard-scratching, lotus-positioning, puppet-wielding, scene-stealing, scenery-chewing, and deep-thinking to come in Season 2, and we hope you will join us for that with our next episode. There's no further break before that happens. So long. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. 
It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.